their challenges are different. The level of anxiety they deal with is astronomical. Like you didn't see that in generations before that you see that now. But I don't think it's limited to teens. I think it's limited to people feeling like I have all this information, but that doesn't necessarily make life easier. Hey, hey, Brian Miller here, and welcome back to One New Person, the show where we take a closer look at chance encounters to remind ourselves that every interaction is meaningful and every person we meet is important. Today's guest is Shama Hyder, a trailblazing entrepreneur and CEO of Zen Media, a digital marketing and PR firm. Shama is one of the most sought after keynote speakers in the world, the author of two best-selling books, the Zen of Social Media Marketing, and Momentum. She was included on 30 Under 30 lists by Forbes and Inc.com, and has been recognized three years in a row by LinkedIn as one of their top voices in marketing. In a word, she rocks, and I am thrilled Shama was willing to carve out an hour for us. We discussed how to avoid getting overwhelmed by the constantly evolving digital landscape, what's changed for consumers since the dawn of social media, and how a professional chance encounter led to personal fulfillment. So please enjoy this sensational conversation with the Zen master of marketing herself, Shama Hyder. Okay, Shama, thank you so much for being here today. I really, really do appreciate it. Thanks for having me, Brian. Glad to be here. So you've been called the Zen Master of Marketing, which is maybe my favorite title I think I've ever seen anyone (laughs) have. Um, What is that and what does that mean to you? Well, I I think the way um, it was used was, of course, as an honorific. I think what it means to me is slightly different. In terms of, you know, my goal has always been to try to make marketing and branding easier and more accessible for brands and individuals in the digital age. And I feel like that's doable when you sort of go with the flow of the way, you know, social media and these platforms are structured, like you really use them the way they're meant to be, then it really can be more or less a Zen experience, right? It's, I think it's sort of when you fight it or when you're really trying to overlay old models on top of something new where you start to have issues. Old models on top of something new. Can you, can you expand on that a little bit? Sure. You know, that's when people use, for example, someone has been doing advertising, traditional advertising and says, well, great, there's Facebook, let's do the same thing there. And then they're just blasting out the messages like they have on billboards or television, not realizing it's a completely different um, platform. And it's not a, <laughs> you know, it's not a traditional medium, but they're still using sort of the traditional rules. Yeah, I, I really appreciate that you brought up right away the distinction between advertising and marketing. I've been uh, thinking a lot about that recently. And, um, and I, you know, I've heard folks talking about that. Maybe you can break that down for us. And in, in your point of view, you know, it, it seems like advertising and marketing were the same thing or very, very close for a long time. And then the digital age just completely separated those two. Yeah, you know, it's funny because there's definitely overlap. I think to me, advertising is part of of marketing. Marketing is, you know, a much bigger kind of, um, to me, sort of the the catch-all or the ecosystem. And when you look at advertising or organic or, you know, you look at earned media, paint media, owned, shared, all of these things, 
all of these are essentially part of that same marketing bubble. I think the mistake is to think that oh, like all of it is paid media is marketing when you have earned, owned, um, shared, right? You have so many different ways now to connect with your audience. Yeah, there are a lot of different ways to connect uh, with an audience. And before we before we really get into the heavy marketing stuff, let, is it okay if I back up for a second? I'd love to get a little bit more of your background sure. before we really get into the nitty gritty here. So you wear a lot of hats. I have heard you say this uh, on many occasions, <laughs> and, I'm a, and I'm a big fan of hats. And I got to ask you, which hat are you wearing most lately? Oh boy. So that's a, (laughs) that is always a tough question because I feel like so many of my hats are simultaneous hats, if you will, (laughs) Um, you know, literally on top of one another. I'd say, you know, the thing that I've spent the last decade really focused on more than anything else has been CEO and running my own company, running Zen Media. Um, which I feel like all the other hats kind of get stacked around or on top of. So, you know, when I'm, when I'm keynoting, when I'm speaking somewhere, that comes directly from working in the trenches and what are we learning from our clients and what are we seeing and what's working in the industry. And then if I'm um, writing a book, then that is also direct extension of what are people asking? What are they hungry for? What am I creating that people are interested in? So all of it comes down for me to the same thing of creating this sort of content, creating value. Um, I've often, you know, I've often called myself sort of chief value officer because I think of it <laughs> as three cohorts, you know, my internal team, making sure they're taken care of and that they're in a place where they can do their best work. Our clients obviously would without whom we really wouldn't be anywhere. It's sort of the bread and butter of everything, right? It's where we learn our lessons. It's where, I'm able to distill and share and it's this great sort of cycle that occurs. And then this broader audience that's sort of grown over the last decade as well of people and individuals all over the world who are curious about, um, about, you know, about what we're, about what we're learning and sharing. And so I think about a lot about how to create value for that greater audience. So I'm always creating content that is, you know, broader. Yeah, what I what I heard in all of that is uh, really strikes me in that you mentioned your your companies and media a couple of times, but and, and you kind of referred to it tangentially in a lot of different areas where you kind of wear these different hats. And I've been thinking so much about personal brands lately. Everybody has a different opinion on personal branding, whether it's good, whether it's bad. Should how much should we be investing in it? And You've got what thirty people working for you, a team? Yeah, we have a pretty pretty robust team of folks, you know, doing all sorts of things. So that's exciting. Yeah, and and it's from everything I can tell from from your online presence, it seems like you've got a fantastic team. But I and and I'm guessing there's a lot of folks like me. When I think of Zen Media, I don't think of your company. I think of you first and and immediately. And so I guess my question is, like. One of my VIP clients is a uh, that I go out and keynote and do consulting and workshops for is a kind of a global innovative tech company, and 
I work directly with their CEO, and he is just dynamite. He has a killer personality. He's really charismatic, but I never see his name or face anywhere online associated with the organization. I'm not even sure his headshot is on the website next to his name. So I guess my question is, how important are personal brands in the digital age and especially related to not someone like me who's self-employed, but someone like you who could be the face of an organization. Yeah, you know, so Brian, I think it comes down to what one's goals are, to be honest, right? Like there's plenty of great companies that run without the CEO being very public and there's nothing wrong with that. Like I think that's, if that's the way it works and that's the way it works and that's great. Um, I think in in other times that's that's not as helpful. Like I have greater goals. I mean, I love running my company. And my goal is to make sure that I serve as a as a role model, right, for other folks, especially young women, women of color. I never grew up seeing anybody who looked like me doing what I do. It just didn't exist. And I still think there's such a, um, there's a barrier there. I don't, I, and I think it's harder to be what you can't see. So for me, that's one of my, that's personal for me, right? That's one of my values. That's one of my, mm-hmm. how do I share this story? Uh, I'm not a fan, by the way, of like the, what I call like hustle porn or like the the, <laughs> the craziness of like, you know, some of the Insta stories and things that you see. That's not what I'm talking about. Um, but I do believe in, in being visible because I feel like there's a greater reason for that. Now, there may, that's not true for everybody. And so I don't think it's one of those, you have to have a personal brand. Now, on the flip side, you could look at it and say, well, consumers today are asking more and more for authenticity, transparency. And you get that by leadership being authentic, by being transparent, by being accessible, right? I mean, we don't we even think about like our political leaders. The more someone is accessible, the more we sort of need that, if you will. We sort of um, we expect that from our from our leaders, business or political or otherwise. You brought something up there that was really, really interesting, which is you brought up authenticity. And uh, I feel like I either just wrote a blog about this or I wrote one and it hasn't gone out yet. I'm never sure where I am in my in my content schedule. <laughs> I'm never sure if I'm in the past or the future. But authenticity is getting touted a lot. And I've heard both sides of it. I've heard myself say it for years that like authenticity trumps everything. Like I've I've definitely given that advice to younger um, magicians when they're getting their start and things like that. But at the same time, I've heard the example, you know, you don't want to hear from your doctor, you know, I had a fight with my spouse today and I'm really not feeling up to it, but I guess I'll do it because I have to. Like, Like you don't want that kind of authenticity, right? You, so how much... Where does authenticity really fit in this game now? I mean, is it is it really consistency that we're looking for? Is it really keeping promises that we're looking for? Or or how much authenticity, how much of ourselves should be out there as part of our work? Yeah, see, so I think there's some confusion around complete sort of transparency, which frankly nobody needs, like there's versus authenticity, which is almost sort of like strategic value-driven authenticity, right? And and what I mean by that is, um, like when I'm keynoting, one of the examples I use is how many people would love it if I told them where they could get like, you know, a, a, a free margarita right after this event, like down the hall. 
And everyone raises their hand practically because it's like, yeah, it's great. That's useful. It's great information right then and there, context. Now, if I ask, you know, if I tell people the same thing, I'm like, great. How many of you would like me to send you an email a week after all of this is done and then tell you where you can get a margarita at this hotel? And all of a sudden I've gone from being helpful to a spammer. So <laughs> I think it's that's a, that's a great example. Context <laughs> is so important. So, you know, it's funny because as public, I guess, of a persona as I have with my company and what I share, I'm actually a very private person. So in some ways that would seem like a dichotomy, like, oh, how are, how are you doing this if you don't actually share with people or whatnot? But the point isn't to overshare my life. The point isn't to be an open book. I think you as an individual get to decide where that line is and what works for you. I think it's much, and for me, like, I don't, I don't think that people want that, like every little bit of someone's life. I mean, there might be instances where that makes sense, but I think much more important is context. And, you know, if I'm re when I read a really good book and I share that, I feel like my audience finds that valuable. It's within context. Is it transparent in terms of here's what I'm reading? Of course, but it's more selective in not in terms of what do I have to hide, but more in terms of what do I showcase that would also benefit my audience? And I think that's people get, they think it's like all me or all audience. And really it's kind of that intersection of what does your audience really want? What are they hungry for? Not just everything I love under the sun, you know? So it's like very rare for me to share like what I'm eating or where I'm at, because as much as I love food, I don't feel like that's something that people like my audience necessarily looks to me for top of mind. You know what I mean? Yeah, actually something uh, my wife, uh, Lindsay said to me last night when she was, she, she shared one of my posts that she was doing the, you know, proud wife thing. I had a big accomplishment yesterday and she shared it. She said, I don't know if anybody saw it. I think I haven't posted on social media in three months. She said, so I can't imagine anyone's paying attention. She goes, but Every time I go to post something, I ask myself before I, I before I post it, would I care if I saw someone else post this? She goes, and the answer is almost always no. And so I just don't post things. Now she isn't a brand. Uh, she is a uh, she works in community mental health. She's a therapist, and so she doesn't have a social media presence for a brand or anything like that. But I think you're hitting on something very very similar, which is as a representative of my brand, whether that's for you, a company for me, it's my business as a speaker, formerly as a magician. Um, you have to ask yourself, put it through that filter. Would the people who have enrolled to hear from me care about this post? Is that basically it? Yeah. You know, that I think that question is so important. People don't ask that often, which is, you know, is this worth sharing? And what's the goal? Like, why am I sharing this? I just don't think that gets asked as often as it should be. You've written two books on the subject. Now, am I am I incorrect? Are there more? No, Zen of Social okay. Marketing, which is in its fourth edition, and Momentum. That's right. So you've got these two books on the subject. I want to talk about Momentum a lot, but I have to at least back up and go, Zen is in the title of your first book and your company. Why? It goes back to this principle of, I feel like marketing doesn't have to be a struggle, right? 
Like just the other day, I was doing this uh, live webinar or Facebook Live, I should say, for the American uh, Photography Association. I was talking to a bunch of photographers and I was doing this live session on Instagram and sort of this deep dive on what makes Instagram work and whatnot for these photographers. And, uh, you know, it's just funny because funny is not like haha funny, but just how um, pervasive that sense of overwhelm is because you had these photographers and they were just like, man, every time I feel like I figure something out, something new comes along or like, do you have, have advice for someone who's feeling that overwhelm? Yeah. You know, I think you can, you, you go back to sort of the basics, like what are your goals? And if something aligns with your goals that helps you get there, like a strategy or tactic, then you do that. You don't, what you don't do is get overwhelmed and say, oh, there's so many tools, but you don't have to use all of them, right? Again, mm-hmm. like you mentioned that one CEO who's, you know, you are a fan of and does great work, but is not necessarily public. And that's a choice that he or she gets to make. And that's totally okay. If that is in alignment with their customers, their company and their goals, then you might have someone else who says, you know, I really want to be able to grow sort of my brand and I'd like to be on a board one day, or I want to run for office or whatever someone's goals might be, or, you know, our customers expect a certain level of, you know, accessibility and awareness to the C-suite, then that's a different equation. So I think rather than getting overwhelmed, it's much easier, better to step back and say, what am I trying to accomplish? And then do that. Let's back up a little bit to kind of like where we got here because, or how we got here, because you wrote your master's thesis on Twitter, right? Yes. When it had about, I don't know, like 2000 users. (laughs) (laughs) 2000 users. That's bananas. Uh, That was what, 2008, something like that? That was, that was 2008, 2009. Oh my goodness. So I guess if you think about like the original inception of it all. <laughs> yeah. Well, cause I was just thinking I got on Facebook in 2006, 2007. That was my first Facebook account. And I remember you still needed a dot edu address to yeah. do it. And then Twitter didn't uh, come out until a little bit later. Yeah. So in all that time, what has changed for Twitter? What's changed for social media? Cause like 10 years didn't used to be such a big amount of change in terms of the culture of the zeitgeist, but it feels like we've gone through like, I don't know, like at least one or two revolutions just in the last 10 years. Like it's gone so far, so fast. What, what are you seeing are, are, as like the big changes since you wrote that thesis? I mean, where do we even start? <laughs> <laughs> start. Have been just, I mean, I like, it's so hard to even believe and, and it gets funny because when I keynote, I, I set the stage for people and I tell them, you know, 10 years ago, like the iPhone had just come out. Airbnb didn't exist. Uber didn't exist. Amazon was not the behemoth that it was like. <laughs> yeah. You know, so of course, in terms of not just what technologically exists, but how our lives have changed in such a dramatic fashion. Like, you know, you think about when you go somewhere, like you don't just think I'll get my car, you'll take a bus or a train, you think, oh, I could Uber there. Or um, my favorite is when I ask audiences, you know, how many of you have literally sighed when your Amazon package couldn't be delivered same day? (laughs) And then it's so funny, isn't it? Because, and it's funny because there's some kernel of truth, but also like, wow, yeah, that's weird that we have those expectations, but we do. So you know, we do a lot of research at Zen on the connected consumer. Um, and the connected consumer is all of us, really. But 
in the sense that, you know, what do consumers expect today? And that bar is so much higher. Yeah. Can you dig into that a little bit? That phrase, I hear you use it all the time, the connected consumer. So you, you, I was going to ask you, who is that? You said it's, it's all of us, basically. So who are we then? Like, what does that mean? That's exactly what it means. It means that we are the ones that, you know, Uber or Lyft places. We're the ones that sigh when we can't get our Amazon package <laughs> same day or next day, you know, God forbid, two days. <laughs> you know, what the, we binge our favorite Netflix shows. There's like a million things, but we're still like, kind of like, oh, what do we watch now? You know, it's so, it's yeah. <laughs> um, that so many of us don't even watch television ads because it's what's that? So the connected consumer, when I see all of us, it really is all of us in this sort of ecosystem that we now live in and we operate in and, you know, our expectations of how we connect with brands. Uh, like Facebook Messenger, I think that will see such a rise in in the next few years and that people want to be able to send messages to their brands um, and get a response back. Like that's not just sort of an optional nice to have. That's, hey, we, we need that. Yeah. So you mean connected to the internet at all times or you mean connected to each other or, or, or both? In terms of having the access to technology, but more importantly, what that results in, which is sort of these like, you know, godlike consumers, <laughs> <laughs> which have the power that, you know, that you might read in books that it was reserved for demigods and, yeah. uh, and are able to ha- really have a lot of power and control um, that you didn't see historically. You get the situation now where consumers sometimes have as much, if not more, information than the the sellers or the salespeople when they walk into stores and, and locations now. How how does that change your marketing approach? Is marketing becoming more human? In in some ways, funny you should say that because you know we um, actually published this whole study that we did. It took us a year on the connected consumer and you can find it at Zen media if you go there. And one of the things we saw was, yes, there's all these paradoxes that occur with the connected consumer as well. And what I mean by that is this is a great example that you bring up, Ryan. Yes. We want to feel like there is that we have all this information, which we do, right? Let's face it. We have tons of information yet. There's greater levels of anxiety than ever before of am I making the right choice precisely because there's all this information. So it's funny because if you understand that, then you know that a brand's job isn't just done at the point of consideration or post-consideration. It continues that ideally continues to give consumers the confidence that they've made the right decision, right? So generally it'd be like, oh, you get them to buy, great, done. Hopefully they'll buy again or whatever loyalty program kicks in. But now when, you know, when, like, if you just look at the data and you find that such a huge number of consumers, especially in like beauty products or things like that, do searches for products after they buy them. So that is such a great opportunity (laughs) that some brands may not even consider. It's like, you already bought it. Well, why are you doing that? Well, because there's such a high level of anxiety of, did they make the right choice? Like, did they buy the right formula or the diaper or you know, the right shoe, like whatever it is, did they make the right choice? 
You're, that's so funny. I, you're right. I, I definitely do that. I definitely buy stuff and then keep looking into the same product and competing products. And the back of my mind, especially if I'm buying from Amazon, is, well, if it turns out I made the wrong one, I can probably return this and mostly get my money back and just do something else. And you know, like it, it does the the um, uh, my favorite phrase is option paralysis. We just have so many options. We just get frozen um staring at them and i think that anxiety is is really really crucial i I hadn't actually considered it like that um that when people are marketing when we're getting inundated with products and with marketing with messages that it's just it's 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 anxious it's nervous you're just kind of walking around going what do i do what do i do what do i get what do i what do i go see um, and there is such a high level, like we, it's funny because I was reading this article in New York times and it was about how teens have changed from like the eighties and nineties to teens now. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I don't know, look, when you were growing up or when you were in high school or whatnot, but like the things that teens struggled with were uh, alcohol or drugs or like, so mm-hmm. you have just say no campaigns, you know, smoking, um, underage sex, like all these things that you know, we're kind of like the quintessential bad things to do in school. Yeah. Now they looked at teens and they said, well, the, all the stuff is down. Teens aren't drinking as much. They're not really into smoking. They're not having a lot of, you know, just like um, underage sex. They're smarter about all these things. But what has gone up is their challenges are different. The level of anxiety they deal with is astronomical like you didn't see that in generations before that you see that now but i don't think it's limited to teens i think it's limited to people feeling like i have all this information but that doesn't necessarily make life easier now of course as a marketer i'm like great opportunity for brands right right (laughs) right because even if you've lost quote unquote lost a customer to a competitor you've not really lost them like that sales cycle no longer looks like the way it used to look it's not a funnel it's much more circular you're hitting on something here that's really 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 near and dear to me because it's right in the heart of the work that i do and uh, there was a study last year from cigna i don't know if you read it but it's i think you'd be really interested on the loneliness epidemic in america and and those are their words not mine cigna the health you know, global health service organization. Um, they did a massive study, 20,000 American adults, uh, generation Z all the way up to the greatest generation and found across the board that loneliness has now reached epidemic levels. It is actually so detrimental to our mental and physical well-being that it has the same impact on mortality as smoking 15 cigarettes per day. Uh, loneliness is now effectively as dangerous as obesity in terms of a health risk. Like this isn't just a thing motivational speakers talk about anymore. Like this is a real problem. And it's a problem, like you said, not just for Gen Z or millennials, uh, but across all the generations. And so I want to steer from that kind of right into the the core topic of uh, this podcast, which is all about human connection, chance encounters, and, and lasting impact. Um, do you have a story for us about someone that you met randomly to, to uh, some degree uh, that, that had a big impact on you or you on them, um, either personally or professionally? Yeah. So I, I thought about this question, Brian, because you sent it to me prior to us doing this. 
to say, you know, have a good one for my audience. So I thought, yes, please. And of course, there's chance encounters every day, right? Running mm-hmm. to people at airports or things happen. Like there's definitely that serendipitous, I think, quality to life, which makes life so interesting. Um, but I thought, you know, for this, the story that you asked specifically for, um, I would share how I met my husband, which oh. was, was definitely very um, serendipitous and kind of a whirlwind romance. And um, we're both entrepreneurs. And um, we <laughs> so we met at this entrepreneur retreat. We went, we were snowmobiling together. It was, um, and the funny thing is, I wasn't going to go because, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, because generally like I, I have so, we all do, right. There's so much going on that, yeah. um, I was just thinking, okay, well, if I'm not traveling for speaking and it's not meeting a client, then do I, do I really want to add this to my travel <laughs> schedule, which is you know already pretty heavy. So unless it's like, for do I want to do this? And I remember even like the weekend before I was like, Oh, do I, I know I said yes. And honestly it was the fear of some of my close friends who I thought they're going to be really upset (laughs) (laughs) if I back out now, like they're going to be like, I can't believe you would bail. Uh, So it was really funny because I almost, it's those things where you almost didn't do it, you know? Yeah. And so, (laughs) so I went and, uh, Ended up meeting um, Patrick and we started, you know, we hit it off the, like really well and um, found we had a lot in common. Uh, we started dating, even though it was long distance. And then, I don't know, like six months later, he asked me to marry him. And, wow. And uh, yeah, and, uh, you know, a little year plus, we're expecting our first. Um, oh, a big it's so exciting. August. Congratulations. Yeah, thank you. So, you know, like, <laughs> it's one of those things where we often joke and we're like, man, what if we never, we just never, and we found out that we had crossed paths many times, but like ship sailing in the night, you know, like, oh, we were at that same conference, but we just, oh, no kidding. Or we have all these, you know, mutual friends or, um, so it's like, you know, when you connect with someone on Facebook, it's like, you have 30 mutual friends. You're like, how did I <laughs> never know? <laughs> how did I yeah. not know this? Um, and so, yeah, I, I, like that's, that's the way we met. And, uh, you know, we both of us often think like, man, what would have happened if we'd never, never gone to that trip and never done that? Uh, what, what does Patrick do? He's an entrepreneur as well. What does he do? He is. So he is actually in the e-commerce side of things. So, well, I'm in the service business. He's in a uh, purely product business. They do, um, they're in the identification business. So I guess they do a lot of like security. If you use a badge at work, chances are you use one of their products. (laughs) Mm. Um, Companies called Specialist ID. So they do, yeah, like if you go to the airport, it's fun because we like to see how many people have their their badge holders, you know, on their arms and stuff. And we see, we look for the logos. So, um, that, yeah. you know, what's funny about that is I, I, I was having a conversation recently with someone saying, you know, I've always been in a service, whether it was a, as a magician, now as a speaker and consultant and all this, there's like no tangible proof of my work in the world until I wrote a book. And like, now there's actually tangible proof, but like for you, it must feel very similar apart from your books. There's like you can't go point at your work. It's stuff that transforms people and their organizations. And it must be so exciting for Patrick and for you guys as a little game to actually be able to point at stuff that he's put into the world. Oh, for sure. Yeah, no, you're, you're right. That's a good point. Yeah, you know, it's funny because his business revolves so much around inventory 
in the product, you know, uh-huh. and for us, like I consider myself a knowledge worker, right? It's more right. about what we know and what we're sharing and what, you know, what me and my team, like what our expertise is, but yeah, it's always really cool. I, to some degree that's changed in the last two, three years for us when we started doing more like experiential build outs and things like that mm. in conjunction with our, what we do for our clients. And that's been really cool to be able to point and say, Oh, look, that's us. You know, like we, yeah. there is a, definitely, and, and you're right. Like if writing a book or having something that makes the sometimes the the not so tangible a little more tangible is a pretty cool thing um yeah and uh, yeah it's funny i never gave that too much thought until you just mentioned it brian (laughs) (laughs) i'm curious have the two of you uh now having you know uh, this uh personal life but also professional life that uh overlaps and i'm kind of curious he's in product you're in service for the most part uh is there, is there a give and take? Have you, have you discovered from each other, kind of taken lessons from each other's worlds back into your own world? And just to, you know, kind of give you an example, like I mentioned earlier, Lindsay, my wife is a, uh, she's a therapist. She's a licensed marriage and family therapist. And I've learned, and she's also an, an introvert and introverts typically make the best therapist because contrary to popular belief, therapy is not they're not supposed to give advice. That's not what they're trained to do. They're trained to listen and be a sounding board and ask the right questions for you to discover the solution. And so I've learned so much as a stereotypical extrovert and an entertainer about listening skills and how to back off and ask meaningful questions and and be on the other side of the conversation. And meanwhile, Lindsay has learned so much about networking and how to promote yourself without being, you know, sleazy or schmoozy and, you know, to be able to confidently talk about your own work and own your value um, from me. So we've had this great give and take. I'm wondering if if you and Patrick have had something similar. Yeah. And, you know, I wonder, I don't know how much it has to do with like our respective businesses as it just does our personalities, right? So mm. like on the Briggs Myers. Uh, I'm an ENFJ and he is an ENTP. <laughs> so. Okay, a quick note. The Myers-Briggs test is a self-reported indicator of psychological preferences. And ENFJ, like Shama, is prone to idealistic tendencies focused on values and vision, often driven by a deep sense of empathy and connectedness. An ENTP, like Patrick, is an innovator, interested in solving intellectually challenging problems, and driven by a desire to analyze and understand other people. I'll leave a link to a free variation of the Myers-Briggs test in the show notes on onenewperson.com so you can find your personality type. And then I want to hear from you. What personality type did you get? Send us a message on social media by hashtagging one new person, all spelled out, or send an email to one new person podcast at gmail.com. Okay, back to the conversation. <laughs> um, so yeah, that's great because, you know, he's very logical about things. And for him, if, if something doesn't make sense, like reasonably, like logically doesn't make sense, He's great about saying, well, then it doesn't require any more of my attention because I'm, that's just like, that doesn't work. Right. Or like, that's not something that is bringing me joy or whatever. And as a feeler for me, it's more like, oh, but you can just do that. You can, (laughs) (laughs) that's impressive. Uh, And so, you know, I, I see that a lot sometimes just the way he is with the world and 
such a smart, like he's such a thinker. And, and I, I can, I really appreciate that. And I think in turn, he would say that I probably allow him to feel more (laughs) than, uh, or see a different side of things, you know? And so, um, but it's fun. We, We are both such entrepreneurs and the funny thing is whenever we do have quote unquote an argument or what would I guess pass for one is we're, it's so, it's funny to even like watch or we laugh at ourselves because it's like, well, that's an excellent point. You know, we're just, we're able to see each other's <laughs> like, you know, our, each other's side. So it, you know, luckily it never escalates because we're like, oh, okay. Yeah. Well, that, that makes a lot of sense there. <laughs> Well, that see the and and that totally makes sense to me that you'd both be good at that because people, you know, great entrepreneurs, great marketers, steering back into what we've been talking about this whole time, are able to do what you know psychologists call perspective taking to take on the point of view of others. That's in that's what so much of um, your work, you know, and, and from what I've read is about as well is is being able to put yourself in the customer's point of view and say, you know, what are they looking for. Um, I loved in Momentum when you uh, described the question that companies used to ask is, you know, what does our brand say about us? But today the question is, what does doing business with us allow our customers to say about themselves, right? How can we change or improve the way customers see themselves? And I think that's that's exactly um, what you're just describing. And, and your ability to diffuse arguments in your personal life. It's the same skill. It's what does this person want? What are they looking for? Yeah. Yeah. And and Patrick, you know, we've both done so much. That was the kind of cool thing. I think we've done so much work on ourselves in terms of, you know, professionally and personally, we both are big believers in self-improvement. And I think that plays a big role in us as entrepreneurs, because it's not like, I guess we, we don't feel like identity is a set thing. We see it as an evolving how am I constantly growing? And so I think that's so important to both of us that we sort of challenge in some ways each other and help you know grow as people, as, as leaders. Um, and I think that's exciting. Like every day we wake up and for us, you know, things are, we enjoy it. Like it's so funny because when we got married and moved into a house and, and a baby, like all these things that I guess generally people would find to be stressful events in their life. Um, you know, we got a lot of those comments, like people were like, wow, that's got to be so stressful. How are you guys managing? And we would just sort of look at each other and laugh because I guess for us, like, because we're so, you know, in a business, I always tell people like, don't start a business or get into it unless you really love solving problems. Like if you don't like sol- problem solving, you're going to be miserable because every day, <laughs> you know, and so yeah. it's also perspective because we look at stuff and it's like, Ooh, challenge, fun. Like, Let's solve this. You know, it's uh, oh, a client's really trying to get this thing launched. Like, what's to me, that's cool. That's fun. That's exciting. I know for some people that would be very stressful because they would feel a certain pressure. And I think for both Patrick and I, that plays such a role in kind of who we are as everything is sort of this like challenge or puzzle to figure out rather than something to be dealt with or, oh my God, I can't, you know. And so I can honestly say we loved our wedding. <laughs> I know people <laughs> often do that and they're like, oh, it's such a stressful time. And, you know, we're really lucky. It wasn't for us. We, we loved it. We really were in the moment. We enjoyed with our friends and family. We worry about the stuff that, you know, or like the things we cared about, the stuff that we should, which is each other. We didn't about all the other stuff. Like 
it was just, and I think part of that goes back to, again, being the way we are in business, being that way in life, which is very much, you know, you, you got to look at stuff either as this kind of hurdle that I can't believe I have to, you know, cross or deal with, or, hey, this is, you know, this is challenging. Like today brings its own surprises. And, you know, what do we do with this? Like, how do we have fun with it? And I think that's very much our attitude. I think that's a that's a great attitude and a great life philosophy. And uh, having that that wisdom that probably goes all the way back to I would imagine Taoism and 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 the likes, uh, which is the way to be happy is to be happy. Like happiness is the way. There's no path to happiness. Happiness is the path. And if you choose that first, um, everything else you see it in that light. And it's uh, it's easier to uh, to tackle. I'm thrilled you had a great wedding. We had a great wedding. We had he- heard all the same horror stories, and we planned. And you plan and plan and plan, but you also have to go. But nothing ever goes to plan, and we know that going in. <laughs> so, yeah, you just have fun yeah. with it, you know. And I think that's true of like yeah. entrepreneurship. Sometimes people are so miserable at work, and the funny thing is, it's not the job because they'll be just as miserable at the next as the ne- at the next job, right? It's yep. not. Yep. And it's funny, or they'll it, it, they'll date person after person, and it's like the same person, or they'll have the same issues over and over, not realizing like, okay, but what's what is the one <laughs> factor that's the same here? What's the constant, <laughs> right? There's all these variables, yeah, but when you're the constant, you gotta look like you gotta start there. It's a hard thing to do. Look, look inwards and discover that, though, isn't it? I, I had a, I had a moment when I was in the first couple of years of my career where I, I had that moment and realized, oh, I'm the problem. All right, but then, but then once you realize, oh, I'm the problem, then you can fix it because sometimes solving problems isn't even as important as finding what the problems are. Absolutely, yeah. It's not. You're right. I mean, it's not about. It's not even about beating yourself up, you know. Because looking back, I mean, I made tons of mistakes in both professionally, personally, things I wish I'd done differently, but who has like, who hasn't, but I think what's more important is to move forward and say, and I love that about, again, these are things that when you ask, what do I learn from Patrick? Like you learn, okay, well, I learned, you know, I did the, I did the best I could then. What was it that I learned? And if I learned something that it wasn't a waste of an experience and you move on. And I think that moving on part is so hard for some people. I know we've just got a minute or two left. Do you have time for one quick uh, question to wrap things up? Go for it. Awesome. Um, You mentioned serendipity. And so I've been thinking since launching this podcast, I've just had uh, all these amazing conversations with just incredible people who've been successful personally, been successful professionally. And so that for me, what keeps coming to mind is luck. And I keep wondering about the role of luck in success because I spend a good portion of my year doing inspirational speaking on college campuses and at high schools, occasionally middle schools. And I hear motivational speakers, you mentioned way at the beginning of our, this conversation that there's you know, that, uh, that hustle porn that uh, you just see all out there. And there's a lot of folks out there just telling, telling young people over and over and over again that all it takes is hard work and perseverance. And if you just keep at it, you'll do it. And it's, it, it's just not the case. And I worry that we are doing a disservice to young people by downplaying the role of luck in success. And I'm wondering if you, to cap us off here, have any thoughts about 
what luck is and if luck has played a role in your success and and if if you have any thoughts about how we can put ourselves in situations where we are more likely to be lucky because some people seem to be a lot luckier than others and i don't think it's on accident that's a great question so here's the thing i definitely think that luck is a thing right it's that sort of variable that you don't always control it's the thing about where people say oh well so and so was just discovered by an agent walking their dog down you know hollywood boulevard or or all these things but i think what's an so a couple of things. One, I think, you know, I believe in strategic serendipity, which is sort of where you create the right environment. And then, you know, the chances of something happening are greater, which I, what I mean by that is, let's say that you uh, go to a conference. A conference now naturally is an environment where people are connecting, where they're looking to me, like you are exposing yourself to a broader audience. If I, for example, had never gone to that retreat, which, you know, historically, like that's not, I wouldn't have <laughs> gone. Yeah. But so it, it, it's outside my comfort zone and something that, you know, I didn't always make time for, but it allowed that door for that serendipity to occur, right? So I think all you can do in your life is sort of be strategic and then recognize the opportunity. I mean, people have had been lucky, but they've never, like there's plenty of times people just don't act on it. Like think yes. about, I think about how many times I've met someone where I say, Hey, you should totally keep in touch. And I'll say that to like two people. Like, let's say I'm at a school speaking, right. And someone will say, I really want a career in marketing. And I'll talk to two people and they'll say the same thing. And I'll say, you should keep in touch. And one of them will, and one of them will end up going working for me because they did keep in touch and they did, they took the advantage of the opportunity. And then someone else who I'll never hear from again. So, yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I yeah. think that way you also have to be able to act on the opportunity. I, I don't think you can, there's a lot of room to get disheartened. I think you keep doing things, but I also think it's important to find, you know, so, like if you take the best people at what they're best at, like the world's most amazing basketball player or someone who's amazing at soccer, or whatever, or who's great at business, and then you put them in something else that's not what they're great at, they're going to suck. But that doesn't mean there's <laughs> a person or they're not lucky. They're just not in the right field. So I think part of it is discovery and figuring out, hey, what do I excel at? Um, you know, what am I willing to work hard at every single day that won't feel like work to me? I That's a great answer. And uh, I think we're definitely going to close out on that before we say goodbye where would you like our uh our folks to to go find you to connect with you to get the most out of out of uh, what you're putting into the world yeah i'd love to connect you know um social pick your poison you got twitter facebook linkedin um obviously zenmedia.com where we talked a lot about the connected consumer and, and those resources there's a bunch of great information there and then of course you can find more about me if you'd like at uh, shemaheider.com. Fantastic. And maybe if you get a chance, uh, you can send me a link to one or two of those articles and I'll put them in the show notes and yep. make sure that people can find them directly. And I will just say that where you and I connected uh, for the first time and uh, where this, you know, relationship started was on LinkedIn. You are all over LinkedIn and you are 
amazing on LinkedIn. I'm very, very jealous of how good you are at LinkedIn. So some other time we'll have to have a private conversation where I ask you how to be better at my LinkedIn. (laughs) Before you get annoyed that the Amazon package you ordered an hour ago hasn't arrived yet, here are a few takeaways from this episode. First, there are a million tools available to get your message out online, but you don't have to use them all. Find one or two that work for you and leave the rest behind. Social media needs to work for you, not against you. Second, find personal and professional success by committing to continual self-improvement. Be honest with yourself about your flaws and work to make them better. Your partner, friends, family, and colleagues will thank you and you'll be doing your future self a huge favor. And finally, the world's best basketball player might suck at tennis. That doesn't make them a worse basketball player. Find your strengths and lean into them. And for that matter, make sure the people on your team and in your life are in a position to make the most of their abilities. Then everybody wins. Head to zenmedia.com to learn more about her company. Follow Shama anywhere on social media, including at Shama, S-H-A-M-A, on Twitter. I highly recommend following her on LinkedIn and all of these links, including extra materials and bonus resources, will be in the show notes on onenewperson.com. And by the way, I really appreciate your continued support of this show. And if you're new here, welcome. I've never asked this before, but if you find value in this podcast and it's not too much trouble, we'd really appreciate a quick rating on iTunes. Send this or any episode to folks you think would benefit and feel free to tag us on social media by using the hashtag one new person, all spelled out. I'm Brian Miller. This is One New Person and we'll see you next time.